0: Welcome to the History of Networking on the Network Collective. Tonight, we're talking about the history of that to-do list killer. Email with Dave Crocker. So grab a pile of cookies, something to drink, and join us as we talk about the history of networking. So, Dave, um, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you're doing, where you've been in the past, and, um, you know just start rolling on email and tell us about email.
1: Okay, Um, so a little about my background, I'm Dave Crocker, hi. Um, I got taught to uh, program when I was 12 uh, in 1962. Uh, That was a little unusual in those days. My brother is Steve Crocker. He had been around computers for a few years. He and some friends had written a book that didn't get published, but it was what I used to learn. And um, I didn't know I was an experiment. Uh, he He had been uh, uh like all younger siblings yeah um, <laughs> he had been insisting uh to uh his professors at u c l a he was eighteen at the time and been there a couple of years that uh, any re, any any um reasonably intelligent high schooler could, could learn to program. And they were just positive he was wrong, you need a lot of advanced math, you need at least a master's degree. And so that summer uh, I learned Fortran two and wrote a couple of programs. Uh, and the, the mathematics was eighth grade mathematics, but, but they were programs and they printed out. What I didn't know was he ran the programs twice and took the extra output to his professors saying that indeed he had been wrong. Uh, It didn't require that you be a reasonably intelligent high schooler, a reasonably unintelligent junior high schooler. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, since this is on the record, I have to admit, no, he didn't actually say that, but it makes the story a little better. Uh, (laughs) And about 10 years later, um, I went to work for uh, several people, including his uh, high school buddy, Vince Cerf, uh, at the UCLA ARPANET project just before the ARPANET was publicly demoed, uh, demonstrated, not demoed. Um, in, uh, the, uh right at the end of 82, another 10 years later, I went to work for Vint again, helping to build MCI mail. Um, then in the early 90s, I became a uh, consultant. Um, I can fill in some details, but they'll probably show up more in the timeline about email Uh, I haven't only done email, but I'm almost only done email. Um, I actually did build full stacks when I was working for Ungerman Bass in the late 80s and the Wollongong Group running uh, the engineering department there. Uh, But other than that, it's usually had something to do with messaging and email. Um, I got uh, my undergraduate in psych when I went to... um, Uh, work at the UCLA uh, ARPANET project. I dropped out for what turned out to be four years, but eventually went uh, back. Uh, Then I went to study human-computer interaction at a brand new program at the Annenberg School at USC uh, and left with a master's and then went off to uh, Delaware, University of Delaware under Dave Farber, um, and that's where things started getting interesting with respect to email Though, before I left, while I was still in LA, I was at the Rand Corporation and uh, we built some interesting stuff and we'll get to that. So that's the uh, background. Uh, I'll I'll, uh, throw in a couple of online references that might be worth people looking at. Um, uh, There was not very many years ago, a question about the origins of email. Uh, In some people's mind it persists, but not too many people's minds does it persist. Um, and from that, I put together a, a website that is a compendium of citations and an attempt at a timeline. Uh, that's emailhistory.org, uh, and um, it's, it's incomplete, but it was the beginning of a discussion. Uh, one of the other uh, earliest people involved with email is John Vital, and he's been doing a very detailed timeline uh, that will yet surface. I don't know what its exact status is. Um, It's been done under the aegis of the Computer History Museum, I'm expecting them to make it available uh, in some fashion, although um, they're not clear uh, how yet. Um, One of the things that often comes up in uh, internet technical efforts over a long period of time is confusion about which documents you need to know about and how they relate to each other, Uh, and that's a, a discussion that shows up in the ITF periodically. Uh, I have a, an effort I pursued on that some years ago, and it, it fizzled out, but it uh, got a fair amount of information into it, and I keep thinking that I should restart it. Um, and that's at my website, bbiw.net, uh, under clusters slash pound sign suite mail, S-U-I-T-E-M-A-I-L. Um, feedback would be delightful for any of that. Um, so about the history of email. So there's one one thing I need to ask you folks. Um, what's email?
0: It, it it's what makes my to do list get too big.
1: Uh, I was looking for a slightly more functionally specific response.
2: <laughs> I would I would call it like asynchronous messaging. I mean, it's asynchronous is a big part of it, right? You're not talking okay. to people at the same time. Okay. Okay. Uh, and largely and largely text based. Text based, yeah. yeah.
1: At okay. least initially, for sure. And any any more elaborations? Everything's fine so far, but keep going. Anything else? Recipients. I'm sorry. You need recipients. You need recipients. So so uh, I'll I'll take a liberty and say it's a message from an author to one or more recipients. Okay. Um, and one one small question uh, down at the lower layers in packet switching, especially in the ARPANET days, where this was embodied in real code, there was a difference between a packet and a thing that was called a message. There was actually religious wars about the difference. Um, I've got one nodding head, maybe.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. No, definitely. definitely. I, I actually, and so,
1: so then I have to ask, okay, if email is a message and, and down in packet switching, we've got a message, what's the difference between those two, do you think?
0: So for me, a message down at ARPA, uh-oh, <laughs> Donald was going to say something. I, I
1: think we've touched on the religious war here. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: so, so to me, if, if you're talking about email messaging, you're talking about person-to-person. If you're talking about ARPANET or down lower, you're talking about host-to-host or application-to-application.
1: Okay, let's go with that. Um, so first of all, uh, we know that uh, early email uh, I'm was, not sure that was good. <laughs> no, no, This is fine. This is fine. This is what I was looking for. Um, early email uh, was certainly completely text oriented. And we know that there's um, a lot of text in email today. Uh, but we also know it doesn't have to be uh, text. And that's a piece of a story by itself. Um, We know that there have been computers that do inter-process communication with no humans in the loop uh, using email. So it's for human communication, but it's not required to be used that way um i i 've actually strongly recommended that certain kinds of remote uh support be done uh by in an automated fashion between programs using email because it's often been uh the only highly reliable channel even though it might be slow and it might involve a lot of disconnection uh but the, from an author to one or more recipients and I added the one or more but that that's not a surprise to anybody um, so um When you use Facebook and it has its function Messenger, uh, is that email?
0: So now the question becomes, how is something like Slack or chat different than email? To me, the difference is the platform and the way it's transmitted. So email passes through multiple servers um, to reach from point A to point B, and it's an open standard that uses fairly standard packet formats, whereas something like Facebook Messenger is pretty proprietary and hangs out within a single cloud.
1: So, so I think that's, that's a perfect point of distinguishing between uh, what we'll call the academic definition of email um, and the practical one. Most of the time people say email, uh, especially non-technical people, they're referring to internet mail and those standards. Um, in uh, academic discussions, uh, which may or may not involve academicians, uh, it's, it's a more general term and it can refer to a collection of anything that does to use the original reference, interpersonal messaging. Um, and, and I say all this because uh, one of the fun things that came up uh, not very many years ago was uh, when email uh, originated. Um, now, if we start with the simple definition, um, it's generally acknowledged to have started in the mid 60s, probably, um, let's see, sorry, I lost. There we are. Uh, I have a timeline that I wanted to be able to refer to. Probably the credit goes to Tom Van Vleck, but he doesn't claim he was the first, it's just probable. But that was a single machine uh, messaging system, very simple. Uh, I believe its capability was that you'd uh, run a program that would give you restricted access to the recipient's file, uh, to an inbox kind of a file in their space, and you could only append to it. Uh, but I didn't use it. I wasn't around at the time, uh, and I, I never quite remember the details. The so this thing kind that we,
0: of sounds like a <clears throat> mainframe or a mini, like an AS400 type thing or something. I, I'm like sorry.
1: That. I said 1965, and the distinction you're making was not a particularly helpful <laughs> one. There were computers. There weren't very many kinds of computers. <laughs> now, now to be fair, actually, mini versus mainframe did exist in the early 60s when I was learning to program uh, using UCLA, they had the largest IBM machine, uh, which was a 7090 at that point because the 709 had been transistorized, so it was a 7090. Um, And they had a front-end card reader printer machine that was an IBM 1401, and that was a mini computer of the day. Um, But but by and large, it wasn't really a kind of distinction people would generally make. and it was whatever was being used at one of the MIT labs. As I said, I don't really know that much detail about it. The thing that we think of as email, uh, separate from just the internet, uh, uh, I refer to as networked email, um, and that was when uh, someone first made a message go from one machine to another, um, and uh, Ray Tomlinson gets the credit for that at the end of 1971. Uh, interestingly, what I only found out fairly recently, uh, not very long before he died, uh, was that he did his work in reaction to discussions that were underway uh, on the ARPANET because there, there were a collection of people uh, who were talking about creating something that, that was electronic mail. And the direction they were going was a big complicated uh, design where the goal was to print the message out and have it delivered to somebody on their desk. And if you think back to the early 70s, that made sense for the general world, but from today's perspective, boy are we glad they didn't do that. And um, if you know the history of Unix, you know that it was a reaction to Multix, the great big uh, powerful yeah. MIT system. Yeah. Where a couple of guys went off in in frustration with that project and 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 did the work uh, that created Unix over a short period of time. Well, Ray uh, did a weekend project in in, in classic style, um, and I was uh, just watching your your uh, clip uh, with uh, Radia, um, you know where. She did it in two days. Uh, I think Ray did it in roughly that time frame. Uh, arguably, he had less work to do because there was already a, a little message system on uh, 10X that they were using at at Moranick and Newman. Um, and what he did was uh, to put in the at sign hack uh, so that you could put, uh, instead of recipient, you could go recipient at host name. Which, um, which and-
2: became controversial too, if I understand correctly, right? That the at sign became... Uh, sort of a, a topic of debate because that character was used as a delimiter in other systems.
1: So, I don't remember that controversy. I mean, there's controversy about the, he often is, is claimed to have invented the at sign, which of course he doesn't claim and he didn't. Um, uh, so, so in that ten year ten year later effort, while well, I was at University of Delaware, I had to invent. Uh, I had to come up with a choice uh, similar. Um, and you may have seen percent sign used uh, left of the at sign in in some email addresses long ago. Um, It's really hard to find a character that no system uses already. Um, And I chose percent sign um, in in the theory that it was care of. It was a little bit like uh, had some basis just as at sign had good uh, basis. Um, But yeah, when you have the aggregation of machines on something uh, on a network like the ARPANET, and by that time it it wasn't large, but it was it was growing, and you had quite a bit of diversity among the different systems. Uh, choosing a character that no one used is uh, fine. Uh, actually, now that I remember it, uh, this particular yeah. You know, thank thank you for raising this because my very first case of doing user support that I was particularly proud of was for uh, someone who was not a user at the site I was doing support. When my, my job at UCLA, uh, when I went, went to work for Vint and John Postel and, and the rest of them uh, under Kleinrock, uh, was user support and documentation. And one day, a brand new user, a fellow named Einar Steffarud, who played uh, quite a role later on uh, in networking, um, uh, I had shown him how to, how to use the net uh, and how to do email, and he calls me up, and he says, I can't send email. It won't let me send email. And so I'm going, okay, what's going on? And he says, well, I typed the address, and I hit Courage Return, and it says bad. And I said, well, you need to hit at sign twice because at sign was the command intercept for the local access machine, the tip that he was using. And it took me a moment to reflect on the fact that I knew with that little information what the problem was, <laughs> fairly obscure. So you're right, AdSign had a problem. I don't remember a lot of complaints about it, but- So, so you mentioned it was a hack. Why is it a hack? Um, so I'm used to using the word hack in the form of meaning clever trick. That's not the current use, but I grew up in a different age, and I've never made the switch. It's a little bit like some sexisms by older men who don't actually intend misogyny. They just grew up in a time where people said things they thought were endearing, and by today's perspective, they really aren't. Um, so it was a, it was a, it was a. a, 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 a That's what I wanna say. It was a clever add-on to an existing thing to adapt it for other uses. And um, I had thought to mention this later in the session, but uh, a thing that has recurred in a number of your sessions uh, that I think is important enough to make sure to mention here is this idea of uh, building on what exists rather than uh, starting over with something new. Um, a, on the average, when somebody wants to do something really ambitious, if they start over brand new, um, rather than look for a way to add on to an existing base, uh, they end up taking too long um, and, and losing relevance.
0: And um, they, also, they also end up with scope creep quite often, too, right?
1: Scope, uh, absolutely right, uh, because you want to do the whole thing. That's right. Um, And um, time after time, especially with email, by the way, we have examples of the benefits. As long as you can tolerate the ugliness uh, of the of of adding the the smallest amount more that you can, this is especially true in in multimedia mail. But we'll get to that eventually.
0: Something OSPF never learned, right, Donald?
1: (laughs) (laughs) OSPF v three. So, uh, so Ray connected machines, and the machines he was using were, t- were 10X, which was uh, using DEC PDP-10s uh, and an operating system built at BBN. Um, and it turns out that combination of the PDP-10 and and uh, DEC's uh, operating system on top of it with special paging hardware added. Sorry about that. That's okay. All right. It's a real print. I'm amazed. I, I actually can't completely – uh, can't completely kill it. I know what we'll like do. My parents' house. <laughs>
0: I'm sorry, it's fine. Um, <laughs> it's fine.
1: <laughs> so um, that machine was the most popular machine among computer science networks in the U.S. and some other places, and that meant, therefore, it was also very popular around the ARPANET. And so, if somebody wrote a program that ran on PDP-10. Uh, and made it available, it could be, if people wanted to use it, it could be immediately used. Um, And this was probably the earliest examples of of open systems work uh, as we now know it. Uh, Certainly, the ARPANET culture had that at its core. And so, Ray's hack uh, started propagating very, very quickly. the only catch was it was not a very usable system in the hum, you know, human computer factors sense. Um, and um, uh, as people started using this, uh, it didn't take very many messages per day to become painful. So, who would you expect to be the first person to do something about this? And the answer is an administrator who's getting a lot of messages from a lot of different people and is getting overwhelmed. And that's what happened. It happened that the administrator was the head of the ARPA Computer Science Group, IPTO, Larry Roberts. And he wrote a uh, uh, Tico macros. Tico was a text editor and kind of a programming system of the sort um, uh, that was very popular. He wrote a collection of Tico macros that could uh, do better than what existed. What existed was a dump out on your screen or on your printer uh, of all of your recently received messages. That was the total functionality, just print out whatever's there. And he wrote something which let you look at them selectively, and I believe delete them selectively. Huge functional advance, terrible piece of software. Uh, so,
2: so before then, email was just a big, long concatenated text file, basically with messages in it. Is that the way to think of email?
1: That that's the way to think of it in the Arpa environment. Um, I don't know enough about what other pieces of software there were. Remember, we had a Multics. We had very we had other MIT systems. We had some IBM's uh, systems, and everybody had potentially uh, their own um, user software and I just don't know enough about the others. Uh, but but um, in terms of the history for internet mail, um, Larry's given the credit, and, and near as I, I, I believe, it was the first program to do per-message manipulation. Um, but it was really ugly. And so uh, as the popularity grew, there was some motivation to re-implement it um, and at uh, USC's Information Sciences Institute at Marina Del Rey, um, a small project got started. I assume it was an informal uh, effort. Uh, Marty Yonke did the original code, um, and uh, Larry's original system was called RD. Um, and using uh, clever wording from the day that was popular, uh, Marty called his system Banana RD. Um, and it had some uh, popularity, uh, but not for very long, only because uh, his next-door neighbor, uh, John Vittal, uh, took that code, and, and I'm not quite sure when he split off. I don't think it was a straight serial effort. I think there was some bifurcation. Um, and John added a number of really nice features, where the one that I cite the most is the answer command. The very first ability to easily reply to a message was uh, John Vital's command. Um and uh, my, my subjective assessment was that uh, the, the rate of messaging among people on the ARPANET went up exponentially within six months. I have no data to support that. That was just my sense of how convenient uh, because you could have real conversations. I, I remember it was not uncommon to have several rounds of conversation with somebody over the course of 15 minutes. And by the metric of the early 70s, that was just extraordinary. That was just unbelievable. Um, I'll mention uh, one other user piece of software because it's self-serving in an odd way. Uh, the work I did uh, latter part of the 70s uh, at the Rand Corporation while I was in L.A., um, while I was in graduate school at USC, I went to uh, the Rand Corporation as a, as a summer student, stayed for a couple of years. And my task was uh, to, I think the way it was tasked, ARPA asked Rand uh, to uh, build a capability for Unix for email that was comparable to what 10x had. And so I did the design and other folks did the software. Um, what I did was to build a messaging engine, an email engine with different user interfaces on top. One of them was an exact emulation of a tall system and I actually got him to certify it. Um, and another was an emulation of the existing Unix mail command. Um, and a third one was just one that was a straightforward command oriented interface. Um, and that was an interesting exercise. Remember what I was playing with back in graduate school was human factor stuff. So I was curious about all this, but I ended up learning another lesson, which is big complicated systems are slow and uh, people don't like them because the system that we had built was big and slow. There was discussion about re-implementing it um, at, at RAND and that discussion led to a decision to essentially go a different path, sort of taking the functional uh, description that I, that I had written and completely re-implementing it as a collection of small Unix commands. And that created, uh, Bruce Borden was the one who wrote that. And that became a very, very popular system, but not right away. Um, And so MH is the name of that. Uh, And for many years, it was extremely popular around the ARPANET and internet. Um, When it became popular was a few years later, uh, a then probably undergraduate at UC Irvine named Marshall Rose. Um, took MH from RAND and made it more usable, and its use became really quite popular. But each uh, email command that you would uh, uh, issue was a separate Unix command, and so it was a very interesting exercise, and it ran vastly faster than uh, my system had run. And
2: it's uh, funny because a, that sounds like the same conversations we're having today about disaggregation and, and splitting components up into smaller pieces. Yeah, and, uh, right. and 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 so these are not really new concepts. We just keep having to relearn the same thing over and over.
1: <laughs> There's some really interesting design lessons. They have to do with trade-offs and cost of technology and performance of technology and, and managing complexity. So yeah. I'm, and, um, And arguably, MH carried it too far, but maybe not because what really was probably right ended up happening. And that is having the function be an independent uh, program was fine. Having users have to issue uh, different Unix commands was uh, not great because the Unix command interface isn't great. And so putting a layer on top of that that was integrating... Uh, and XMH was the name of one of those. I think there were uh, one or two others besides that. Uh, ends up being a design approach where you have a highly modular underneath functionality with an integrating layer on top that's for usability. Seems to be a really good design for lots of different systems. Um, So, in the midst of all this, how did I get involved in email? Well, I got involved in email because of the psych background and in the middle of networking, this stuff shows up, and um, I like to try to play with things that use a range of uh, things I've I've had involvement in, and email is just a fantastically rich environment with a very interesting technical characteristic. Besides all the human factors, and oh, by the way, packet switching, albeit at layer seven. it it lets you bury an awful lot of slowness underneath because of exactly the piece you said, which is the asynchrony. And so you can do some things that look like it's a really fast system, even though what's behind is uh, not so fast at all. Um, And so it's a fun environment. And as the discussions, after uh, Ray's stuff started getting used, people of course then started talking about email. Uh, In addition to which, by the way, in 1972, I believe, uh, besides the ARPANET demo, we had a gas crisis in the U.S. Um, And uh, among all the terrible things that had happened because of that, including very long lines uh, at gas stations, um, it was the first online teleconferencing system uh, that got built to help the people who were trying to, the government people who were trying to resolve this. Um, And that led to this area of teleconferencing, which is asynchronous messaging through uh, what's usually a centralized source organized towards collaboration. And so you can use email that way, though it's not quite tailored for it. Uh, These systems were much more tailored for it. And so there are all these discussions going on, um, and that led to an early RFC uh, five something uh, that, do I have the number? 561 is probably the right number, message object. that uh, started to try to standardize the mail object. Uh, Even before that, the transport was standardized as part of the original FTP standards effort. And I got to go to the very last meeting, so I had nothing whatsoever to do with the creation of email transport. Um, And they added two commands. One's called mail, one's called mail file or MLFL. Uh, Mail file was a way of using the the, the FTP uh, file command. Uh, with tailoring for doing the kind of appending that, we, that I was talking about uh, was originally done for email. So
0: it was actually based on the original file transfer protocol it
1: wasn't, it wasn't based on it was part of It was part it, of It was commands in there and oh by the way there were some other commands that would let you know whether a mailbox address was valid it, and there was a chat command it uh, wasn't called chat, but you could, you could could your message, instead of going to the mailbox, could go to their screen if they're online. And there was even a command which would say, send it to their screen if they're online and to their mailbox if they're not. Interesting. The things we can't yeah. do now. And oh, by the <laughs> way, I think I'm glad we can't do them now because we, <laughs> we have
2: notification too- pop ups. It's all okay.
1: Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> you have mail. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so there was a standard for moving mail, but there was really no standard for the format of the mail, uh, RFC 561 was the first attempt at that, it got implemented, so it actually gets the, the right uh, to claim it was the first standard for format, uh, but it wasn't very successful, there were problems with it that led to discussions. Um, I, I posted, back in those days, RFC, request for comments, really was a request for comments. Uh, there was no concept of a standards process. Uh, or formal approval. Uh, people published stuff, they were uh, uh, ideas, they were very general, they were sometimes very specific uh, specifications. If somebody implemented, they got used, and if they didn't, then they were just a discussion item. Um, and this was one of those things where discussions were happening through RFCs. I posted some comments. This was just the beginning of my getting involved in uh, any of that technical work. Uh, my, actually, my first technical effort Uh, was in response to an RFC from a graduate student in Hawaii, and uh, University of Hawaii created AlohaNet, and my brother gave paper. My brother was at ARPA at the time, saw the paper from the Aloha folks, and uh, was visiting uh, uh, Bob Metcalf one evening and gave him a copy of it, uh, and that was the connector that led to Ethernet. with Bob making some pretty darn interesting enhancements over the underlying concept. Uh, AlohaNet could get a uh, channel utilization of 23%, something really awful. Yeah, yeah, and Ethernet got something like 98%, which right. isn't too bad. Um, and from the postings that I made, I got contacted by John Vittal, uh, Ken Pogren, who was at MIT, uh, at the Multics Project, uh, and Austin Henderson, and I'm now forgetting where he was at the time, they had been asked by ARPA to turn out an actual standard. Um, and so we worked on that for a while. That included a lot of community collaboration and some dogfights. Uh, and out of that came RFC 733. And we, we, we really wanted people to implement it. Now, when you have no leverage over anybody, how do you get them to do that? Especially when you have no marketing background, um, and so we lobbied you got a with
2: psychology degree.
1: That's really different, and it was a long time before I married them. <laughs> uh, li- literally, my ex-wife teaches marketing. Um, so uh, what I did was to what, what we did was to uh, uh, ask uh, uh, Steve Walker, who was the overseeing ARPA program manager, uh, if we could have the title of the document say that it was a standard. And he said yes, and we explained why, and he said yes, because he agreed with the goal. And we caught a raft of noise in response to being uh, attempting to be dictatorial. Nonetheless, it got implemented, it was successful. Uh, Later on, and that was for, so standard for the format of ARPANET text messages. Um, Later on for the internet, I did a revision of that with a lot of community collaboration, took out a few things, added a few things, The most interesting thing that got added, of course, was domain names that were just being created uh, at the same time, Um, and so RFC 822, which was the first internet standard for the format of mail, uh, is actually a pretty small revision over RFC 733. Um, Let's see, what else do I tell you? Uh, Oh, yes. This this little bit was uh, keyed off of listening to one of your other sessions uh, about um, uh, obscure research methodology. Um, So I ended up being the editor for uh, uh, 733 and was uh, going fast and furious at this, and we needed to add time zones, just North American time zones, um, because this was the ARPANET, this wasn't the internet, um, and we knew the obvious three. Uh, it wasn't too hard to find out about the, um, the one just past Eastern, which is, I think, half, a, half an hour ahead. Uh, but we had no idea what Alaska and Hawaii used. And I was at the Rand Corporation, and I had heard uh, mythology about the, uh, the librarian. Uh, at the Rand Corporation. And I knew the library was wonderful. It's just fabulous to wander around there, but I'd never interacted with her. And so now I had an excuse. So I called her up and I said, well, I have a really obscure thing I need to find. And I described the requirement. And she said, okay, I'll see what I can do. She called me back less than a half hour later. And she told me, uh, Alaska standard time is AST. And, um, and I think Hawaii standard time is HST. And so I said, that's incredible. How did you find that out so fast? And she said, well, I dialed 411 for the uh, Alaska and Hawaii <laughs> and asked the operators there what they call their time zone. She well, was your
2: Google. I'm sorry? She was your Google.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, that's what we had in those days. No, she was, she was magic. Uh, the other thing that was interesting about the spec uh, was I was sort of hung up on format and readability. Uh, a lot of RFCs are less hung up on that. Um, and
0: <laughs> Actually, when I learned to write RFCs, I was told to write them so that the only people who can understand them are the people who were there when
1: they were written. It's your fault. <laughs> no. Because that's I, how I, many of them that's how many of them are I now.
0: I know, and I argue about it constantly. No, don't do that. <laughs> oh
1: wow. Yeah, no, this is a this is a point where when whenever I'm involved with anybody uh, who's learning to write RFCs, I try to make point of, of getting them to worry about who the audience is and write it for that audience. That's and right. I mean the cool thing about RFCs is that the 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 format is not rigid the content is not rigid and it's okay to include tutorial material and introductory material and sure. and then you're faced with the the, cho- the choice of how much and and sometimes people go too far and other times not far enough uh but it's really interesting to see how often those documents are written really for the people who are working on them rather than the ones who have nothing to do with it now that's right but one of the things we needed to do, of course, was specify the syntax for the object. And uh, really popular in those days, this is the 70s, uh, was backus naur formation uh, form, uh, or Bacchus-Normal form. And uh, Except BNF wasn't quite friendly to the effort, um, and people regularly were inventing their variants. So there are lots of those showing up in different documents of the day. And we did one also, and ours was augmented BNF. Um, And uh, it ended up causing RFC 733 to become by far the most cited RFC. Not because it was email, but because it had a version of BNF that people like to use, and it got reused a lot. Uh, And my assumption is it's because I really worried about formatting a lot, plus we we got a particular balance of capability and and since then people have wanted to augment it a lot and all of the augmentations they want to do are reasonable but it isn't clear that they're compelling uh to make part of the core and i think the first real addition to the core was just a few years ago and i'm not even sure it was that good an idea <laughs> okay so uh oh yes um so we, we, we mentioned earlier uh, what, what I think is a, a really important lesson from this sequence that starts with the, the early days of mail and continues on quite a bit longer, uh, which is don't try to do everything all at once. Get, some, get a core that's useful, working as quickly as you can so that you can field it and gain some experience, and then if necessary, throw it away, but more likely improve it. Um, and that's what we started uh, back then. Uh, a consequence is that an email message that that conformed to 733, the core of that is almost identical to the core of email today. That's so is that
2: where you defined all the headers that you, know, that you had the subject and the to message? from CC, oh, the, oh, yeah.
1: the, the beginning of that was in RFC 561, but 733 was the first one that got popular. And uh, two from CC. Uh, we we invented uh, the from sender reply to combination, and that actually was a fairly carefully thought out. Although it's gotten corrupted over time, uh, but but that was because additional uses were needed, and people, uh, well or not, applied this idea of using what you've got and then adapt it, um, and um, and we've had more of that happening over over years. Um, So, subject, date, um, and then the body. The body is lines of text. Due to the length of this episode, we have opted to release it in two parts. Stay tuned because in two weeks, we will be releasing the second and final portion of this conversation with Dave Crocker about the history of email.